0: I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, in restorative justice ministry, service to our incarcerated and to those who tend to them. Joined today by Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, who is the pastoral care coordinator for the Gatesville region of our ministry to those who are incarcerated and those who tend to them. And Renee Brown, director of counseling services for Catholic Charities of Central Texas. We're continuing our series on distance parenting. Uh, reaching out to parents as they try to reach out to their children uh, while they're away, whether it be incarceration, military deployment, social distancing because of virus, whatever it may be. Uh, Today, we begin talking about parenting style, and I want to ask you, Renee, what is parenting style, and how can a specifically incarcerated parent determining what their parenting style is?
1: So, Every parent tends to have a style of parenting, and there's been a lot of research within the study of parenting styles. There's actually a questionnaire that people can go through and fill out, and then they can determine uh, their parenting style. What I'll do is kind of give you the styles with the little um, descriptors, and that way our listeners will be able to kind of hear and figure out maybe which one they are. Now, just keep in mind, like we talked about in the last segment, most people parent the way they were parented. But if you did the quiz, here's what you're looking at. So we have the permissive parent, and that parent avoids confrontation, They may think, uh, let's be friends. There's very few rules. Um, There's a lot of indulging of behaviors. Um, It could be um, low expectations. These parents will often have low expectations. They're very accepting of everything. Oh, they're just being a kid or he's just being a boy or those sorts of things. And they're, they're very lenient, and there's lack of rules and consequences. So that's the permissive parent. Then we have the authoritative parent. This parent is more, let's talk about it. Let's work through this. And they're going to have, like, high expectations for their kiddo, but they're going to, from the sense of, I think my child can meet these expectations, you know, so it's not over the top sorts of things. Um, These people are going to have like clear standards for behavior. There's going to be rules that maybe have some consequences with them. They're consistent. Um, There's some structure there. And these are parents that are responsive. So they're responsive to their child's needs and to child's behavior. And they're also flexible. They have an understanding that every child is going to be different. And so there's also some flexibility pieces in there as well. And they are assertive. These parents are going to be assertive. And this is not a bad thing to be an assertive parent. So Um, your uninvolved parent um, is they have competing priorities. You know, their boyfriend is more important. Maybe their mom is more important. Their own needs are more important. Um, This parent is passive They have very little involvement. It's kind of like, hey, you're on your own. Um, They're very neglectful, and they may be absent, um, very uninterested in their child. And then you have the authoritarian parent. And this is the parent that says, because I said so. Um, They lack warmth often. Um, They're emotionally distant from their kid. Um, ha- they have high expectations as well, but it's this thing of you're going to meet this expectation. There's not, there's not any room for failure with their expectations. Um, there are clear rules. There is punishment when you break the rules. They're not worried about the learning because children are going to break rules. This, this is how they learn. Failure and breaking rules is how children will learn. The, this parent is going to be punitive. So um, a little bit different in they're autocratic by nature. So there's just not a lot of room with this particular parent for mistakes or failure. So these are the four parenting styles. You know, I would encourage our listeners to look at those styles and go through maybe just whatever descriptors you were able to write down. Go through and circle them to see maybe where you fit as a parent. And if you don't like where you fit, then you can change it. It doesn't mean you're stuck in that sort of parenting forever. You can start changing some of your behaviors so that you can help your kiddo. And, of course, when you're looking at these four styles of parenting, authoritative is the one that you would really want to strive for. The permissive parent is kind of allowing their kid to do whatever. This child is going to be probably out of control. You know, children don't know how to do things unless we teach them. And so um, without some rules and consequences and guidance, these children are trying to make sense of the world on their own. For the child that's in that uninvolved with the uninvolved parent, that That is like lack of love, lack of acceptance. All the things that we talked about, the eight things that kids need in our prior segment, children in the uninvolved parenting style, they're not getting any of those things that kids need. Um, and with authoritarian, um, for for some children, that there could be a lot of fear with this sort of parenting. And the comment, because I said so, isn't teachable. That's just because you said so, right? Well, what if when they're 14, some kid comes up and says, well, because I said so. What is the learning? When When we're thinking about children and the things that we're doing, you are educating your child, you are helping your child to manage the world. And so you wanna think in terms of parenting, which one of these styles helps my child thrive in the world around them? Which one of these styles helps my child be the best person that they can be and be successful in whatever they do? And that, of course, is gonna be the authoritative style. Um, I think we have to be very, very careful, especially in this authoritarian piece, with punishment. Um, With punishment, often there's no learning. What, you know, you tell your kid, uh, give them a spanking, but you didn't really talk about it, you punished them or you just put the kid in time out or you took the toys away what was there any learning in there you know what what went on or was it just pure punishment because there is no learning sometimes from pure punishment with children so just some things to think about
2: Renee how does the incarcerated parent talk to their children about being in prison
1: so we talk a lot in counseling with our with with parents about what we call keeping secrets. Keeping secrets can be very harmful to children in their development. Children, usually, especially the younger they are, they feel a huge responsibility when you've asked them to keep a secret. And so... Often parents don't want other people to know they're in prison. You know, they're incarcerated. And so they've asked their child keep the secret. We don't want anybody to know mom's in prison or dad's in prison. Then this child feels a huge responsibility to keep that secret for you, for the family. And so what we talk about is being honest with children in a way that they can understand according to their development. So, for example, when um When we first started visiting my daughter, my grandson was very young. So he didn't really have an idea of where we were going. We were just going to visit his mom. But at some point, he did realize, like, this is not, where are we at? This looks like a scary place, right? Because he saw the barbed wire and the fence and the building wasn't inviting. And so we talked about that his mom was in prison and it's a jail. We kind of made that similarity for him because he was so young. And the way I kind of explained it was when when children get in trouble or they're having a hard time, right, we'll use a time out for them. And this, when you're an adult and you break laws, which are rules for everybody, you break those rules, you have to go someplace to do your time out. And It's a place where you can get yourself together. You know, you can get yourself back in with God. You can learn how to control your anger. Whatever you need to do, this is the place for that. And so it's about being really honest with kids. And then his mom explained to him that, you know, she had been using drugs and had got pulled over by police with drugs. And this was one of the outcomes of her using drugs. She was very honest with him, too. Often parents will say... um, They'll make statements that drugs are like medicine, and they're not. So regardless of your personal opinion of well, we should we should be legal, or well, pharmaceutical company, uh, companies are really like drug dealers. All of that goes out the window. That's personal opinion and thought that makes it very challenging for children to understand. And what one of the things that we talked about was, um, mom had illegal drugs. She was not supposed to have this. These were illegal. The medications that we are supposed to get are from our doctor. So just being honest about why you're there within the parameters of how old the child is or where they're at developmentally. You know, you want to be careful in what you say because you don't want to give children too much if they're younger and then they're confused or they're scared. It can be, I made a mistake, you know, and if they're really young, I made a mistake, and because I'm an adult, this is where I have to be. A little bit older, you can explain. And with our family, it was really interesting because we made a decision as a family that none of us would tell Corley while Tierney was in prison. It was for her to tell him why she was there. It was not for us to do that. That was for her to do that. And she did that at a time that she was ready. They've had uh, conversations since then. So it's about being honest, but at a level that children would understand. So don't give them too much unless they ask and then make it understandable for that kiddo.
2: And it seems like in that scenario, Renee, there'd be an opportunity uh, to, I think the child has an understanding of the, of the time outside, the punitive mm-hmm. side of prison. But uh, explain to us uh, the importance of the restorative side, that, that mom or dad is there uh, not just because they've done wrong and they're doing their time uh, in, uh, for the state, but also the atonement uh, for what happened, but, but also coming back a different person, that he or she will not leave there the same person that they came in, if they so will it.
1: Oh, I think that's absolutely a great point, Ronnie I mean, that is something that's a great conversation, not just a conversation, but several conversations to give back, right? And to kind of help your kid understand this from every perception, so to speak. So some of the conversations that I know that Tierney and Corley had, just because I would um, overhear a lot on visitation, were those conversations about, you know, um, owing a debt to society, so to speak. Like, you know, when you do something, you know, you have to go in and do time for this mistake or breaking the law, however you want to put it. This is part of it. Part of being here is for me to get myself together, to get my anger in check, you know, to um, practice You know, um, the good things I need to be doing for myself. For Tyranny personally, they had a lot of conversations about God because prison was the place for her where she became more in tuned with God and what that relationship was going to look like. You know, and following the principles that Jesus has for everyone, or that God has for everyone, and so those are conversations that they have. Even even though she's out now, those are conversations that they still have. You know, of that was a place for me to get myself together. I I had to do my time. That's part of society. That's part of following the law. This is what happens. But there's also that restoration piece of, you know, how did I get here in the first place? She worked down to that core of looking at the things that were going on with drug abuse and some of the other things in her life. How did I get to this point? And what am I going to do differently? Already kind of thinking, like, what am I going to do differently when I get out? What people am I not going to hang around with? They had a lot of conversations about that. Um, which kind of serves him well now at the age of eight. He understands there's certain kids in the classroom. He's nice to everybody, but maybe there's some kids I shouldn't be hanging around with because it could be bad for me. So a lot of those holistic conversations, you know, and how did I restore myself? um, And a big piece of that for our family has been, you know, her new walk in Jesus and being a new person, So I hope I answered that for you.
0: Yes, you did. Thanks. Which brings us to shame. We preach and teach that the love of God and Jesus Christ, the power of his resurrection, the sending of the Holy Spirit, all the above, uh, bring us into an invitation by our God to be restored in relationship with God and in relationship with one another when we have sinned and crime is sin. So, when I've had that happen and I have repented and I have sought the sacrament of penance and reconciliation and I'm going to mass and I'm staying in my word and I'm really trying to draw close to Jesus and I'm in a positive place, and yet I can be uh, influenced by people who want to shame me because they've learned what, I, what my charge was um, or that I hear in the society around me that I'm a bad person and I'll always be a bad person because I committed my crime. How, do a, how does a parent overcome shame and, and be able to be a parent instead?
1: When I did my work from healing from being sexually abused, shame is like a critical piece that you work through. And one of the practices that, that I did that I think would help incarcerated people as well is not owning shame. I don't own shame. When I did the healing process, that was over for me. The shame belongs to the person who molested me. This is their shame. It's not mine. I don't own it. Um, So it would be the same practice in society. So society puts out these messages that if you've been to prison, there's a shame in that, but you don't have to accept what somebody else is saying about you. You don't have to accept that shame. And maybe a twist on that or or a wonderful way to think about it is, you know, God is forgiving you, right? I mean, God is forgiving you. So why do you need to accept shame for something that God is already forgiving you for? I don't need to accept society shame. I don't need to accept other people in prison who may want to shame me. I don't need to accept that because through Christ, I'm already forgiven. I don't need to accept that. I can put that, I can put shame somewhere else. Uh, When we're working with clients who have been abused, especially if it's like sexual abuse, it's a practice of putting the shame back on the person who perpetrated against you. It's, it would be the same thing in domestic violence. I did a lot of domestic violence counseling as well. And that's one of the practices is I don't accept the shame of domestic violence. I put it back on the person that committed. That's their shame. That you treated me this way, that you harmed me physically, emotionally, and mentally. That's your shame to carry. I don't have to carry that anymore. So that can just be a practice Um, for those persons that are incarcerated. And maybe even like we've talked a little bit about before, is journaling. You know, journaling, what does shame look like to you? What has been your experience with shame? How has shame held you back? And then that practice of, I'm not, writing it out, I'm not accepting shame anymore. You know, the shame belongs to whoever the person was. And um, I've been in some... Situations before where people have done counseling and they'll say, my abuser, I don't like that. So if you're going to say I'm, I'm, my shame belongs to, it's not my abuser because you don't want to own your abuser. He, he's, he or she is not yours to own, right? My children, my God, my parents, the people you love are the people that you can have kind of that ownership thought with, but not with an abuser. So it's always putting the shame back on this person. There's no abuser. It's a little interesting thing that we do in our head.
2: One of the things I might add, uh, Renee, is that um, in restorative justice ministry, we talk about uh, often uh, that your worth is always greater than the harm you've caused.
1: Oh, I love that. And
2: also for the victim, your worth is always greater than the harm that you've received.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to borrow that Deacon Ronnie. I love, that's awesome. That, that would be awesome. You know, as part of a counseling thought to give people that, that is wonderful. I think in terms of your thinking too, and when we're talking about shame with children, so some of the things that, that as parents that you can do, um, so that you're not shaming your children, um, is like, Just some of the practices that you can think about are not setting expectations too high. You always want to remember, think about your child as an individual. Think about your child and their capabilities. And we want to be careful about setting expectations that that are too high. And also remember that expectations are about you. They're not really about your kid. So, for example, if my expectation is that my kiddo is going to go to college, is that really about my kid or is that about what I want for them? So expectations are a little tricky. We had to be careful with expectations. Also, telling children not to cry. Crying is a natural expression of emotion. And when we tell children, especially younger children, not to cry, they feel weak. Thus, they feel that sense of shame. So we, we want to allow children to feel and we want to allow children to have that time to cry if they need it. And then sometimes just being really judgy of your kiddos choices, you know, and when you're on them and you're judging these choices, it may feel shameful to them. Um, So if your if your daughter had on maybe a dress that you felt was too short and you go on and on about it, it can feel like shame. You know, when you could easily say, you know, that dress is not appropriate and maybe you should go change. You know, I can't believe you wore a short dress like that. And then everything that goes along with all that can feel shameful. Also, public displays of discipline. That is so shameful and humiliating. To children. We can easily um, take children to a restroom or take them outside to discipline them or talk with them. But public spankings and yelling, um, those are shameful things that we sometimes inflict upon children.
2: So, what is structure versus danger?
1: So structure, and actually, guys, I wrote that word wrong. That should have been nurture. I am so sorry. Um, So structure versus nurture. So in parenting, um, especially with like attachment parenting, um, we want to make sure that we're providing kids with structure, right? We want them to know they have a safe environment. We want them to have a schedule. We want them to have a routine, Um, We want them to feel safe. All of those eight things we've talked about before. So we have to be careful, though, that structure doesn't become too rigid. In other words, structure becomes so rigid that I can't make mistakes. I cannot fail. um, I can't make poor choices. We want children to feel like when they make mistakes, when they fail, that they're okay in that. That it's going to be a learning experience. It's not going to be punitive. I'm not going to be shamed. So structure is good, but you just have to be careful because it can become very rigid with some people. And then there's no learning. With nurture, what we're talking about is nurturing does not, because I've had parents go, oh, you want me to baby them? No, I'm not saying babying them and letting them get away with it or you're perfect or all these things. No, nurture means I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you in a loving way way to be the best you that you can you can be when we provide children with structure and when we're nurturing them we're encouraging um, it kind of goes back to Deacon Ronnie, what you were talking about with worth we are going to in that means internally children will start to develop that sense of worth and value because you are nurturing them you're encouraging them along the way And when failure happens, because it's going to happen, and when poor choices happen, because they're going to happen and mistakes are going to happen, you know, it's that encouragement that you can turn it around. And you want to ask questions like, don't ask children why. So this is always interesting to me. Um, We ask children why, and sometimes they don't know why. Why is an interesting word. They sometimes don't know why they do certain things. Or why can be the easy out, I can just say, I don't know, you know, and so why kind of works those, those ways. We want to ask kids, well, what were you thinking when you did that? Or what were you feeling when you did that? What could you do differently? These need to be like learning opportunities when your kid, and that's how nurture works, right? When you make that mistake, when you fell, what could you have done differently? You fell this test, what, you know, or how can I help you? That's how we nurture kiddos.
0: When we look to God for guidance, we consider the Holy Spirit. Uh, That is the paraclete, the helper, the one that Jesus promised to send us so that we could stay close to God, we could keep it straight, what is good versus what is evil. Um, We would be able to know in our hearts the direction uh, and how to figure out, well, do I take path A or path B? Um, but when it comes to guiding and coaching children as a parent, um though I would set uh, everything that references the Holy Spirit in sacred scripture is a good study for mm-hmm. that. But from the professional realm, what do we tell parents?
1: So guiding is is almost not like nurturing, actually. You know when things come up, you're you're guiding your child along this path of, understanding or knowing what to do in certain situations. Um, It could be guiding them um, through spiritual learning as well, right? You as the parent, uh, parenting encompasses different avenues. It's teaching. It's that guidance piece. I'm going to guide you through some certain situations. Um, It could be role-playing some things that might happen You know, that are going on role playing and guiding them through how to make some good decisions. And coaching, you know, I think of. You know, people coaching soccer, I'm going to cheer you on. I'm going to coach you in how to do this. When you're teaching your kid how to tie their shoes, you're kind of coaching them, right? You coach them through the steps of how to do it. And you're celebrating, oh, man, you've done this part of it. Or now you've done this. Wow, well, look, you tied your shoe. Riding a bicycle is kind of the same thing. Some of the things that we do, we're coaching kiddos on how to do things. And we're guiding them through learning. You know, when I think about, like, um, especially, like, with, uh, with the Bible— that's, that's a big piece in guiding with your children, and you can do that while you're incarcerated. You know, you and your kid, if you're in person, they have Bibles there. I've been there before, right? There's a whole table with books. You can have one of the kids go get the Bible for you, and you guys can look up stuff, and you can guide them through some of the principles that you want to know. The Twelve Commandments is like brilliant. The Beatitudes, you know, you can guide your child through not only learning what it says specifically in that book, but how it's applicable to life. Like, tell me something you've been through this week. Let's look at a beatitude or let's look at a commandment and see how they related. And then let me coach them on something different that they could do to manage one of these two things or whatever it is. So coaching is like that encouragement um, and guidance is help me, let me help guide you through this situation. And you can bring in your own philosophies, what you believe as a family or a parent, or you can also bring in Bible study into that. Um, And asking kids questions like, what do you want me to help you with through guiding you through this? Or how can I help coach you through this? Um, So asking them what they need can be very helpful as well.
0: We give thanks to God this day for the gifts that he has given you, Renee, you, Deacon Ronnie, myself, as a priest of Jesus Christ, for all the ways in which God is our Father, who truly wishes to parent us, and our parents are the first teachers of the faith uh, for our children. We ask the Holy Spirit to guide and to coach all of us that we may be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, our Lord.